Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 480 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. Tonight, you have joined us for our Short Topics episode, and we're glad you're here with us for that. And uh, even if it's not tonight for you, or whenever you're listening to this, we appreciate you tuning in. And uh, we hope you spread the good word about Linux in the Hamshack. We do seem to be blowing up on Facebook. Not sure why, but we get all kinds of people showing up over there. But Twitter is apparently dead. Somehow, Elon Musk killed it. And, uh, you know... The rest is what it is. So anyway, let's go ahead and start getting into our topics for tonight. But before we do that, we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. Sounded like Cheryl almost forgot what she does there. Uh, no, I, I, I was getting tackled. Oh, so. I see. I tried to push my door shut, and she was in here for a second. But yeah, obviously, she went back to you, so... All right, so let's dive in. We actually have a lead topic for tonight. It's one of those time-sensitive ones, which I don't know why we're doing these anymore, but whatever. <laughs> we'll have uh, <laughs> we'll have Cheryl go ahead and read this one, and then there will be a short discussion before we get into our normal stuff. Okay, so our first topic is the QSO Today Virtual Ham Expo. is coming up September 17th and 18th of 2022. Tickets are $10, but they will provide a free ticket to students under 25 years of age or children under 18. Or if the $10 ticket cost presents a hardship for you, you can complete a form and if accepted, they will waive your ticket cost and add you to the Expo registration. The form has to be completed by September 10th to be eligible for that free Expo or free ticket to the Expo. Uh, children under 18 um, who use the form will not appear on the exhibitor report unless the ticket user changes the flag on the VFairs account. And I'm assuming that link is to the actual expo. Yes. Yes. It's just the expo link, but you can see the, uh, they have a link to the tickets as well. All right. Expo scholarships for youth is what they're calling it. I guess I could submit a hardship request. (laughs) 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 I can't, I can't attend anyway, because we will be, we'll be doing the baseball thing. So no, just a poor podcaster. I know. Can't, (laughs) can't afford $10 to do an expo while we're spending a whole bunch of money to watch the Cardinals play. But <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wow. Um, so anyway, I hope it's a good event. Well, I'll probably see the uh, after effects of it. I don't think I've ever watched any of this stuff after the fact because you have to have gone, right? You have to have purchased a ticket to see the stuff afterwards. Yeah, yeah. In order to get the uh, 30 to 45 day after period, yeah, you do have to buy a ticket. So, but that also allows you to, you know, 
not have to actually be there live. You can you can just do it all via via MemberX and uh, YouTube and uh, however they're perf, uh, you know sending that stuff out. All right, I, I may do that. I, I haven't done that before. We'll see how it goes. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our amateur radio topics for this evening. And I threw one in here just because, I don't know, I like when these people get busted for stuff. <laughs> uh, for amateur radio topic, we got New Zealand man faces fine for Radio Communications Act violation. Authorities trying to curb the flow of illegally obtained two-way radio devices have charged a Northland, Northland man, this is Northland, New Zealand, by the way, uh, with importing them without a license. The two-way radios can be used for criminal means and can be interrupt emergency radio networks, causing a serious risk to public safety. The man who has interim name suppression, well, that's a big way to say we're not telling you who he is, <laughs> is scheduled for sentence later this year. He faces a fine of up to $30,000 for a few balfungs. Why? <laughs> that's suddenly made those not worth it. The charge is related to a consignment of 50 Baofeng UV-5Rs and two Baofeng UV-82 two-way radios. So a grand total of like $100 in radios, <laughs> which was addressed to the man's home and intercepted by customs at Auckland Airport. A summary of facts released by the Ministry of Business Innovation and Employment's Radio Spectrum Management, RSM unit, said the illegal supply of these two-way radios has become a serious problem for police in the Northland region. The RSM is the authority that allocates rights for the use of the radio spectrum and forces compliance with licensing requirements and administers the Radio Communications Act 1989 and the Radio Communications Regulations 2001. That came from the Northern Advocate out of New Zealand. Ooh, so Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? <laughs> 50, so that's, that's 52 radios. So like at, at uh, cost, that's like $500. They're about thirty bucks a piece. So well, that's with retail. That's retail. Yeah, like figure yeah. like twenty bucks a piece for costs. So okay, so a thousand dollars. Yeah, thousand so bucks. So clearly, this is not worth it. The guy should not be trafficking Baofengs. I mean, if you're going to traffic in something, make it a good radio, right? <laughs> the thing is, how do how do they know that he's not selling these on eBay? Well, I, I don't think it matters. He he brought them into the country. That's the illegal thing. Doesn't matter what he's doing with them after that. So if I buy a Baofeng on Amazon, you're from, not in New Zealand. Well, yeah. right, but yeah, here they're legal here. But they're so the Baofengs are illegal in New Zealand because this is illegally. Well, obtained. it's an importation. It's an illegal importation. Yeah, yeah, that, that was gotcha. the whole part of it. I mean, I'm sure there's a legal way to get them in New Zealand, but I don't. I mean, even in the United States, I think they barely if they do in fact pass type acceptance there so well it says importing them without a license is it a is he importing them because he doesn't have a ham radio license or does he not have a i think it's seller a, type license yeah i think it's, it's a, a seller business type business license, license yeah. not a not a ham license gotcha the thing is yeah. if you bought 52 radios for your own personal use would somebody call that trafficking is does, does it work the same way as drugs it's like you can have an ounce for you but not <laughs> when you hit a certain a certain amount, right? Yeah, it's like you're you're snorting too many bayfangs. Yeah, <laughs> you've, you've got a habit going on there. You probably need a you know government interdiction or something. Well, I mean, if you have more than one or two bayfangs, I would say yes, you do have a a problem. But well, we have right. three in the house, so is that bad? I was well, say, you we also have. Should go check into a center or something like that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But for a different reason. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on from that. And I'm going to just, I might let Bill just do the rest of the show since I'll, he's uh, been a mad cut and paster this time. Now we'll all do that for him. <laughs> but uh, there is a special event, a big special event coming up. And I may actually be on the air for that for at least a, an hour or two coming up. Real this is soon. why I included it in the show. I just want you to know. <laughs> Oh, okay. I knew I knew it would be per, more personal to you because uh, you guys have worked it before. Yes, we have worked it before, and and I am going to try and work it again this year. So, with that being said, and it's actually in a really cool place in on Route sixty six. It's an old uh, gas station in a place called Gay Parita. So, uh, we we do whiskey six Romeo here. So, anyway, I'm kind of giving this away. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, you want me to still read it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. No, I still want you to read it. Oh, uh, yeah. So this is uh, Route 66 on the air. Uh, the Citrus Belt Amateur Radio Club of San Bernardino, California, is once again hosting probably one of the most fun special event activities, the 23rd annual Route 66 on the air, or Route 66, depending upon how you like to say that. A uh, special event between a 0000 Zulu on Saturday, September 10th through 2359 Zulu on Sunday, September 18th. So you got a full week, and it's hopefully next week after we publish this. <laughs> the purpose of this event is to offer amateur radio operators a fun way to relieve, uh, relive, sorry, relive the ride of their own memories of Route 66 and to celebrate the highway's 96th anniversary. Uh, the U.S. Highway 66 was established in uh, 1926, was the first major improved highway to link the West Coast with the nation's heartland. Through stories, songs, and TV shows, the highway came to symbolize the spirit of the freedom of the open road, inspiring many to see America. Look for the following 21 stations to our rovers operating in and around the major cities along the old roads throughout 66. I'm going to say it like 500 different ways uh, uh, from Santa Monica, California to Chicago, Illinois. Uh, you're going to see all the W six a through uh, through uh, T it looks like, Oh no, through you. So uh, the big ones that you want to pay attention to is the one of course in uh, whiskey six Romeo in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, but uh, you get the idea. They're all one by ones W six something. And uh, yeah, they'll be on the air and uh, you might be able to catch uh, Russ on the other end of the microphone uh, working for the smark, the Southwest Missouri amateur radio club. Absolutely. So that, that should be fun. And hopefully it'll actually give me an opportunity to get my motorcycle out of the garage and go over there. Cause gay parade is only 20 miles away. Oh, if, that's not that if, far. if that, yeah, I was going to say it's not even that far, but there's actually two little uh, roadside places over there. Gay Parita and Spencer. They're two um, route 66 ghost towns. And they're kind of, I mean, literally all that's left is gay Parita has like a, a gas station and a little museum and a store and Spencer has nothing. It's like three closed storefronts, but they're they're there, and it's pretty cool. Well, Gay Parita isn't an actual functioning gas station. No, they no. turn they turn the gas station into a museum. But for those that don't know, Springfield, Missouri, was where Route sixty six originated. They built from Springfield in both directions. So, so we are Fun truly in, yep, we are truly in the heart of Route sixty six country here. Yep. So. And no one cares about that. Everyone cares about Chicago and L.A. They don't care about the fact that it actually started here, but. Right. No, all they you know about is uh, was that Rust Bolt Springs or something like that? What is it on Cars movie? Oh, uh, <laughs> Radiator Springs. Radiator, Radiator Springs. Springs. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Radiator Springs. Yep. 
Well, Radiator Springs is somewhere out in the in the the west because you know it's got mesas and stuff. There's none of those around here. So <laughs> there, she's googling it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just, yeah. Those are the googling fingers type. I, right I don't now. know where your Radiator Springs is supposed to be, but it's definitely not around here. Um, it's according to to Wikipedia. Radiator Springs is likely in the eastern part of Arizona, while the truck stop they pass by would be in New Mexico. Mm. This means that Radiator Springs is likely a reference to Peach Springs, Arizona, where Route 44 follows the valley and I-40 bypasses the town. Interesting. Very likely. It sounds like a good possibility. And, of course, Wikipedia knows all. So, all it's right. the book of knowledge. <laughs> or the, something. The book of yeah. life. Yep. At, at one dollar donations per pop <laughs> 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 all right let's move on to open source we do have some open source things to discuss and oh boy how are we going to do this uh, bill i'm going to have you uh, step up and just do this one again and then i'll carry the next one okay i i added this one because you had a sudo thing came up this week on the uh, chat room so maybe you can talk about that Later, but this is an article I picked up off of uh, opensource.com, and it's called Seven Sudo Myths Debunked. Many misconceptions likely arise because users know only the basic functionality of sudo. Uh, the sudoers file by default has only two rules. The root user and the members of the administrative wheel group can practically do anything using sudo. There are barely any limits, and optional features are not enabled at all. Even this setup is better than sharing the root password, which I don't think generally happens anymore, as you can usually follow who did what on your systems using the logs. However, learning some of the lesser known old and new features gives you much more control and visibility on your systems. And uh, these are the seven uh, myths. I might just uh, breeze through them real quick here. Uh, sudo configuration is stored locally, making it vulnerable. Uh, yes, by default, the configuration is stored locally. If you give users root shell or editor access, they can modify that file. How about that? However, there are many ways to solve this problem. Um, using LDAP for central configuration is difficult. Uh, this is probably something you do, right, Russ, LDAP? Uh, no, I actually <laughs> use the local config files because we don't actually have anyone other than the IT staff accessing the servers at the shell level. So. Okay, so LDAP is for central configuration. It adds sudo support to an already existing directory service, and it is not prohibitively difficult. Uh, maintaining a sudoers file on multiple hosts is error-prone and compliance problem. Yes, this is right as long as you edit each individual sudoers file by hand, but, uh, you know, things like Ansible and other ways to uh, <laughs> automate that and propagate that is probably uh, easily handled. Easily, easily handled. Uh, let's see, the sudo code base is too large. Um, yes, it is. However, sudo is open source and one of the most analyzed open source codes. So have at it if you are concerned. Shell access visibility is tricky. Uh, using just the default settings, shell or editor access makes it hard to see what's happening inside a shell session. However, session recordings have been available to make visible what happened inside of a user's shell session for a long time, for well over a decade. So yeah, you can you can watch what people are doing inside of your uh, terminals. <clears throat> you can't use two-factor authentication in sudo. That is true. However, you can use two-factor authentication in Linux PAM or other authentication methods <laughs> to authenticate the user. So you can ensure that the user is actually the user. Uh, sudo logs do not improve security. 
Uh, if you collect logs, uh, messages only locally, and you do not check them at all, of course, it does not improve security. But even syslog and other syslog implementations uh, support uh, central log collection and you know things like log stash and whatnot. You can you can look at the logs from many different ways, and uh, you don't have to be concerned about that. So so yeah, there's several things that you have to be uh, you know concerned about with sudo. It's mainly just an implementation thing and uh and maintenance and uh what did you come up with that you had a sudo thing that came in so it was like an order of users or what was the deal that you well, that, had to that do? was my suggestion i don't know if that turned out to be the actual solution my my thought was that uh don said something about the fact that he had a couple of rules that he in, included by dot d files and sudoers uh you know sudoers.d slash whatever and my thought was that if if I remember correctly, that the way the sudoers file works is whichever rule top down is encountered first is the one that gets invoked. There's no there's no fall through. So I thought maybe the order op of operations was causing whatever issue he was having. And he said he got it fixed, but he never said what he did to fix it. So I, oh, I don't darn. know. <laughs> I thought that was going to be meatier than that. <laughs> yes, I apologize. I, I will say that on the fifth bullet point about shell access visibility, if you're using Bash specifically and and possibly other shells, if you don't have sudo logging turned on, there's still the dot bash underscore history facility that does keep a, a list of everything that's been done as a particular user, as a root user or, or any other user. So you can look at that, and in combination with the uh, sudoers, you can see when someone has invoked elevated privileges and then look at what's in that file to see what's been going on if you haven't bothered to turn on logging in sudo yet. So there's there's a way to deal with that as well. Yeah, but if you're going to do randos, given sudo access, you should probably... <laughs> institute yes. some kind of extended logging <laughs> for if you, sessions if you've got like vps or something and you're dealing with that kind of thing where you're just going to have a bunch of random nobodies getting elevated privileges yeah you you want to do some stuff to your sudo so luckily i have never gotten in a position where i had to deal with that but all right that's well that's all i had i wish i wish i could have fleshed out that story for you but i don't see don here and he's uh yeah <laughs> obviously he's not gonna he's not gonna telegraph to me telepathically uh, his yes, yes, so. yes, yes. <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, keep the topics relevant to what I see in the chat room. So, <laughs> no, no, always good, always good to, you know, follow up with folks who are who are presenting problems and asking questions in the chat. And if you uh, want to join us on our Discord, please do. If you haven't already, got to have new people. We got a good crowd. We need a bigger one. All right, so I'm going to try and get through this one, even though I don't know anything about it. It's called Organic Maps, Offline Hike, Bike, Trails, and Navigation. Interesting. Organic Maps is a free Android and iOS offline maps app. Android and iOS? Why are you, is it just trolling around, digging? <laughs> well, it's also available if you go to the bottom. It's okay, all right. Let me Flat Hub <laughs> and F-Droid and everywhere else. All right. It's an iOS offline app, maps application and Android for travelers, tourists, hikers, and cyclists based on a top on top of crowdsourced open street map data. So cool. That's open data. So and curated with love by Maps with Me. Maps.me founders. Uh, I had to put in with love. Okay. Uh, it features several cool features, detailed offline maps with pieces that don't exist on other maps, thanks to open street maps, cycling routes, hiking trails, and walking paths. Contour lines, elevation profiles, peaks and slopes. That would be excellent, especially if you're doing things like hiking. 
fast offline search on the map, turn by turn walking on um, yeah, cycling and car navigation with voice guidance, bookmarks exporting and importing in KML and KMZ formats. That's cool. So it'll integrate with things like Google Earth and all that kind of stuff. GPX support is planned. Dark mode to protect your eyes. Who wrote this? <laughs> I just came off their website. <laughs> uh, countries and regions don't take a lot of space. That's good. Free and open source and based on open map data. So excellent. So while you use organic maps, it's pure and organic made with love. Aww. So we do the ah thing? One, two, three. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it respects your privacy. It saves your battery. And there are no unexpected mobile data charges because you can load things for offline searching. Excellent. It's free from trackers and other bad things. No data collection, no phone home, no registration, mandatory tutorials, noisy email, push notifications, crapware, or pesticides. <laughs> it's purely organic. <laughs> are these the guys who own Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> starting to sound like it right <laughs> this is my chunky monkey map <laughs> anyway uh very good so it's licensed under the apache 2.0 open source license and it's available in the play store app store f droid app gallery and flat hub so there are other versions of it available okay, cool all right i'm gonna let you tackle this one because this is your topic because you because B Bill is the first one of the three of us to know Jack. <laughs> so. Yeah, I know Jack so much that I threw Jack away, <laughs> and I'm not using it anymore. Uh, plus, I realized I was doing something wrong with it anyway. Uh, but I did find, uh, so if you're familiar with Jack at all, which we've talked about it in previous shows, uh, including I think we had uh, we had a guest on talking about uh, audio pipelines inside of uh, inside of Linux. But we all know that Pipewire has come to fruition now, and almost every system that you install today has Pipewire as the back end for all the audio devices, regardless of whether you're using the uh, shims for Pulse Audio, Jack, also what have you. Um, so there's this cool little new utility that has very little publication because I was looking for stories and everything else to find for it, and I couldn't find it, but I was lucky enough to find the application, and it's called QPW Graph. It's a Pipewire graph uh, written in Qt for, uh, for, uh, for Linux. And uh, basically, it's a graph manager dedicated to Pipewire. It uses the Qt C++ uh, or the Qt C++ framework based pretty much like the same as Jack QJack control, QJack CTL, CTL. Basically gives you a graphical interface to uh, connect your audio devices inside of the Pipewire system, which uh, I've used last week and this week on the podcast, so we know it works. <laughs> and it's very simple, and it pops right up, and it's quick, it's fast, it's... Uh, it's it's almost scary how how nice it works and it hasn't been out for very long it's a let me look at the version number i think it's a, a point zero something point three five is the current release so it's not quite 1.0 quality but uh i have to say it uh it works marvelously and it's very lightweight um, it allows you to basically connect your inputs and your outputs, uh, whether that be an application like Mumble. It exposes Mumble uh, that we use here to record uh, the inputs and the outputs, as well as like a monitor mix. Uh, you can have that routed anywhere if I want to hear the monitor in my headphones or I want to hear 
what mumbles hearing in my headphones. I can do that all with basically just dragging a line from one interface to the other. And uh, if you were lucky enough to be here live, you can see in the live show uh, chat channel, I did uh, drop a uh, just a quick uh, screen copy of exactly how mine is set up here. But uh, because Pipewire is still fairly new, but, you know, everybody's using it, <laughs> this seems to be the best tool out there for doing exactly this, uh, doing complex routing of audio uh, devices and applications all at once. So, uh, so yeah, check it out. If you're, if you're into doing a little bit of more, uh, higher level audio, uh, audio handling, um, especially for like, if you're plugging in a mixer with multiple channels, like we tend to do here doing podcasting, I have 10 channels on my uh, mixer. So, uh, it doesn't see that in the pulse audio shim. It sees like the monitor and the main mix and something else, which doesn't work very well when you're actually plugging that into devices. So you can actually launch all your applications and uh, then change all your audio devices using Pipewire directly without ever going into configuration inside of the individual applications, which makes it very nice because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, if I bring up the uh, discord here and then the chat room or whatever and I connect to like an audio thing, I can switch from my camera mic to my. Uh, you know, my uh, mixer mic or whatever I want to do, I can do both at the same time directly into that application. I don't have to go even into the settings inside of uh, Discord to change any of that. I can actually change it all through this little graphing utility that exposes the pipe wire underpinnings to everything. So, so uh, I expect to hear probably more about this in the future. Uh, you know, I'm assuming since it's uh, since it's fairly new in its uh, lifespan that it, it just hasn't quite gathered enough uh, enough uh, traction <laughs> to be popular yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if it starts making it out there to the mainstream as people tend to flow away from Jack, uh, using Jack directly to do, do this exact thing. This, is, this works way better, um, in my opinion, and doesn't have any of the other problems uh, dealing with jack stuff even though jack stuff works perfectly fine in the environment because jack is also sort of a shim onto pipe wire so yeah qpw graph so check it out if you uh if you want to play with some uh interesting audio pathing and audio connecting utility inside a pipe wire on your own linux desktop all right very good i did see the image of it there you've got your basically virtual patch panel so very nice for doing audio routing Patch Bay, and uh, they just need to come up with a better title than or name than QBW Graph. <laughs> I don't know. We've we've had to like you know the QJack control for so long that uh, you know nobody ever said anything about that, and it took me forever to find that. And then I was using Carla as well, which also provides a Patch Bay, a graphical Patch Bay as well, which I think is easier to use uh, than QJack control. But uh, but yeah, this is actually the 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 winner winner chicken dinner one now. So because uh, it it just works. It's it's, it's great. All right, very good. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing about more of that as time goes on and they develop it more and audio gets better and better every day in Linux. So kind of wish I was using it so I could use QPW graph. <laughs> you know, <laughs> still, still relying on the old Mac OS auditing for right now. But all right, so we're moving into Linux in the ham shack and we only have one topic in Linux in the ham shack and Bill is actually going to have to cover this one again because it's one that he's did this come out of your your work issue with the pies 
or is sort this- of i kind of ran into this topic um this particular distribution when i was uh, messing around and i was like i wonder what they're what what are some uh, distributions based on fedora instead of based on ubuntu so it sort of came out of our longer discussion of uh, pop os and stuff like that and this one hit my radar twice so i, I actually bookmarked this page a few weeks ago and then uh, when I was uh, working on a project this weekend on some scanner boxes that do uh, location scanning inside of a laboratory, uh, I was installing Fedora Server. And I was like, oh, Fedora Server. Hmm. Maybe like I go back and look at that Fedora-based OS. And I'm talking about a RISI OS, and I'm not even sure that's how you pronounce it. It's R-I-S-I OS. So RISI RISI? RISI? I don't know. RISI. We'll just say RISI. RISI OS. So... That's our topic. And this is not to take away from all the, you know, pomp and circumstance we gave uh, Pop OS, uh, but uh, this is actually pretty nice. Uh, this is a Fedora based distribution. Uh, and I'll just read some copy here that I pulled off their site. Uh, Fedora based, thanks to a stable base of Fedora, Rizzi OS is able to deliver on the latest cutting edge features without breaking things mid release cycle. Some of the modern features Rizzi OS inherits from Fedora include ButterFS uh, or BTRFS, however you like to say that, uh, Wayland, even on NVIDIA hardware, Pipewire, and much more. Gnome, thanks to Gnome, uh, Rizzi OS ships with a modern and fluid desktop environment with extendability through extensions. Gnome also provides a modern suite of apps with a consistent UI and design language. Uh, Zshell. Uh, Rizzi OS ships with a modified version of Z Shell, which is features, sorry, with features such as syntax highlighting, auto suggestions, and more. Although to keep Z Shell light, we do not ship plugin manager or framework. Z Shell itself is faster than Bash and provides many bonus features like plugin support. So I took this for a little ride in the VM land. So I, I spun up a VM, uh, I think yesterday and kind of played with it. And it has like a normal Fedora install, has a very bright wallpaper. If you go on their website, you can you can take a look at that. <laughs> it's literally the des- desktop background you get. It's uh yeah, quite bright. Um but anyway, it's a normal, normal install for Fedora. So I was not really surprised with that. You know, you basically select your your boot disk and and that's about it. When you log in the very first time, that's when you actually create your user and stuff like that. So the only difference is I noticed like uh when you go in after that first boot, you do get a Riz, uh, a welcome application uh, that's written. It's called Rizzy Script or something like that, and uh, it gives you some options, kind of like uh, we were talking about Pop OS. That very first boot, where it kind of kind of prods you to doing certain things to get things set up properly. This does it as well, so it's kind of a nice touch. Um, and in fact, I think some of these things should probably just be automatic, <laughs> just because it would just set it apart even more. Uh, so some of the options you get uh, after you uh, do that first boot in the welcome application, it wants you to it prompts you to say, hey, do you want to install multimedia codecs, um, which happens to also install RPM Fusion, which is something we recommend when uh, using Fedora as a base for a Linux or ham radio shack ready computer. Uh, so it does install RPM Fusion. Uh, it replaces uh, it does replace Chromium with Chromium Free World. I didn't really take much, uh, you know, much to that i didn't really care about that so didn't really bother me uh also has an option to set up flat hub uh, i think that should be set up by default in, in my opinion uh it gives you a link to the software center so you can get kind of used to what that looks like also has a web apps runner built in so you can actually install web apps directly into the os so it has like a little runner for that and a store that's attached to that web app runner 
and then also installs a thing called Rizzy Tweaks, which is kind of, uh, you know, kind of sounds like GNOME Tweaks, but <laughs> it's very, uh, it's very specific, specific to Rizzy. Uh, it does uh, allow you to do things. It has some default extensions that they install. So it kind of simplifies some things like Doc to Dash and stuff like that that really make GNOME be more friendly, I think, to uh, to a desktop user. It gives you that uh, look and feel that you're looking for. So all of that is is basically handled in that very first boot. <coughs> Sorry, I had a cough. Um and then they also provide uh, in that uh, in that application trusted installers for uh, for doing Brave for the various uh, browsers Brave, Chrome, Edge, Opera, and Vivaldi. So if you want those from a, a trusted installer, they have those uh, linked directly in that application. And then after that, it's basically basically just Fedora. So everything uh, is is is. It runs fine, and if you did the RPM Fusion update, you can uh, easily install Linux applications for uh, for Ham Radio. And I uh, quickly installed, you know, CQR log, and uh, of course that properly installed MariaDB. Hey, surprise, surprise! <laughs> you know, it actually installs the right database. Um, WSJTX, JS8 call, FL Digi, FL Rig, all the usual stuff that I'm, I'm used to using. So, uh, so yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty good. If you, if you like that Fedora route, I think this is just one more notch up, uh, from Fedora base and you can try that out. I gave it a LHS readiness score of 4.7. So check that out. If, uh, if you're interested in something other than pop OS, like we talked about before, <laughs> so this is Rizzy OS, uh, links to it are in the show notes. All right. Really good. It's always nice to go down that road. I'm going to try using some Fedora stuff uh, pretty soon here, if only just so I can get back into it and remember all of the the uh, Fedora-isms, the Red Hat side of the world, because even some of our older like CentOS stuff is going away in favor of other things. So I don't have my hand in the RPM side like I used to. But uh, sounds good, and that brings us down to the end of our topics for tonight. But let's bring Cheryl back in here. We do have one bit of feedback that came from YouTube, and it's from one of our supporters. So we'll go ahead and read that here, and we'll let Cheryl uh, we'll handle that. Okay, so our comment is from Paul Griffith. He says, as a traditional ham, I'm running on desktops older than five years. My wife is using Budgie. I replaced Budgie with Andy's Ham Radio Linux Xubuntu on my Shack computer. And having been more than 15 years since I've installed Fedora, I'm trying it on another desktop. I also have a very old Lenovo T51 laptop running at Xubuntu. My vote for the Shack desktop is Andy's, and having a son named Andy, K5AWG, has nothing to do with my decision. Uh, it, it wasn't exactly a poll, but thanks, Paul, for sort of your, submitting your thoughts about your favorite Linux distribution. Um, the, the only problem I really ever had with Andy's ham radio Linux is it just looked kind of clunky early on. The wallpapers were kind of eh, and it, it did well to be a lightweight Linux distribution being based on Zubuntu and all that. And it was certainly functional and everything, but I just, I, the look and feel was just kind of fell short. I know he's updated. I believe he switched from Debian to Ubuntu quite a while back. Uh, and as I think. I don't know that there's a 2204 version put out, but there was at least a 2004. I know that. Um, and I haven't touched Andy's Linux in a long time. So it, it could be much improved. So, and uh, good luck to uh, KB10IQ, Andy. 
with his distro and um you know he keeps putting it out there i mean we take the shortcut hack and just use cubic to do a slightly modified version of ubuntu for our stuff he he goes way deeper into it than we do so i, I don't know if there's anything special about nandy's we might have to revisit it on a future episode and see where he's at and what's new and what's old and what's good but either way thanks for the feedback we appreciate it and if anybody wants to try andy's ham radio linux i mean all you have to do is search for it on google but i'll make sure that we include a link in the show notes for those who want to try it all right well that brings us down past the end of the announcements and the feedback and now we're on to new subscribers supporters and live show participants and uh, good thing cheryl's got a hot mic there so she can go ahead and read these lists Okay, so starting out, we do not have any new subscribers or Patreons this week, but we do have, from Facebook, Rana Sasugia, The Fringe Radio Show, J. Allen McCarty, Paul Philippon, Bob True, Ruben Rosario, Arduino Officiato, G.D. Artha, Patrick Cartwright Jr., George West Pierce, KC2ZQO, Douglas DeLaurier, James Carson, and the Dresden Elementary Amateur Radio Station. For Twitter, we have at Brewski1852. On YouTube, we have John Isles and Jay Dotson. There are no people on the mailing list this time. On Discord, there was Smeek. And for our live chat this week, we have Tony K4XSS, Dan KB6NU, Don KC9, excuse me, ZMY, Darren VK6EK, Robert W1RCP, and Ed N2XDD. All right, very good. Nice crew on the show tonight. They've all been talking away in the chat room and discussing pizza. So it, it it has been determined, I think, that pizza might show up as a topic on the random topic wheel. So we'll see if that actually happens. But we've uh, we've had a long spate of technical topics on the on the random topic wheel. But our next episode will be a weekender, so we will see a random topic coming up. So we'll hope you tune in for that. And in the meantime, we hope you have a great interval between whenever you hear this episode and hear the next one. Hope everything's going good for you. And please send us some feedback if you get a chance. We'd love to hear from you. But with that, we've come down to the end of the show, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up and let everybody get on with the rest of their day or night. This has been episode number 480 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. <laughs>